Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we've got another Met of Tomorrow today with uh, the podcast in which we talk to the players that are not quite at the major league level yet, but are getting pretty close. And uh, today we've got one that I've uh, been really looking forward to for a few months now. Um, I'm joined by Rio Gomez, uh, left-handed relief pitcher, uh, most recently for the Portland Sea Dogs. How are you doing today, Rio? Ed, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no, we're super excited to have you here. Um, I started um, working for Sox Prospects on their social media back in 2020. And, you know, that was a season where not much happened. But 2021, I have a very vivid memory of you going on this absolute run towards the end of the season um, where you just were. It was it was like two months. I don't think you gave up a single run. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little over two months, and it was just a, an unbelievable feeling that just kept running and kept going. And it was one of those where you just you find the zone, and I was able to stay in the zone for two plus months and just keep it going. Yeah, it was it was just so much fun to check the box scores during that and be like, okay, he's at eleven games now. Oh, now now they've brought him up to double A. Let's see. Oh no, it's still. It's still continuing, so um, I've been I've been a fan of yours uh, since that run. And um, but for those who um, aren't as familiar with your game, um, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, so I'm a left-handed reliever. Uh, I was drafted by the Red Sox in the 36th round of uh, 2017, a round that doesn't even exist anymore in the draft. Um, so that makes me feel good. That's always something I like to hold on to, and. Uh, remember especially now that that now that that part of the draft doesn't even exist anymore um feel like uh you know last of the dinosaurs out there in that sense and uh left-handed reliever been with the red sox uh six years going on seven years now and just slowly climbing my way up what uh what do you throw what kind of pitches do you do you throw 
uh, fastball, slider, changeup. Uh, and I would say my slider has really become my secondary pitch in these last couple of years. Is that your favorite one to throw? Absolutely. And so midway through 21, I actually lowered my arm slot a little bit. And um, with that came the ability to throw a breaking ball. Uh, before I was always over the top and I struggled to throw a breaking ball to consistently supinate my wrist and be able to curveball slide or cutter. It wouldn't matter. Uh, I threw a curveball, but it just wasn't anything special. So I was really just a fastball changeup pitcher. And then once I lowered my slot a little bit, um, somewhat Chris Sale-esque, I would say, you know, a, a Walmart version of Chris Sale is a good way that they describe myself. And, um, but the breaking ball just came along with it and it's been a game changer. Oh, I'm going to be referring to you as Walmart Chris Sale moving forward. Um, <laughs> just, just so you know. Um, Perfectly okay that- with that one. Was that hard? Was that a hard mechanical process to to learn? How how long did that take for you to to change that slot? No, actually, you know, surprisingly, it was um, it was on the fly. It was pretty quick. Um, I'd opened up that season not doing so well, and uh, you know, I, I just during catch play, I'd always mess around and throw sidearm at the end. And um, I think what I realized is that like that was probably always my natural slot. But growing up, I was one of the few lefties on every team, if maybe sometimes only the only lefty on a lot of teams, you know, little league, club ball, uh, whatever it be. And I was always just emulating what all the other guys were doing, you know, all the right-handed throwers and everyone, you know, was pretty much over the top. So I just followed with that. But then once I made that switch, it just felt a lot more loose, a lot more comfortable, almost like, like playing wiffle ball in the backyard. And I realized that this is probably what I was meant to be doing from an early age on, I'd just been fighting it all along. Did you find that you were like naturally inclined to that and then coaching kind of pointed you away from it? Or was it just something that you had never really been exposed to? I think it was something that I'd never really been exposed to. Um, You know, growing up, I never really played the left side of the infield. I was never that shortstop with the third baseman or even the second baseman where you're watching, you know, those guys, they make all sorts of throws from all different slots just because, wherever the balls hit, whatever the situation is, you know, they, they have to make the throw and get the throw across. And that might be sidearm over the top under, you know, under whatever it might be. And so growing up, I never had, I was never exposed to that kind of practice with reps. You know, I was always first base outfield pitcher, just the, the boring left-handed positions that, that, you know, we get stuck to and limited to. Um, So, yeah, I wouldn't say it was ever really deterred, but it was just something that I just had never realized I was capable of, I suppose. Yeah. And did, when did you start playing baseball? How old were you? Whew. Well, my dad got me in there early. I want to say I was probably <laughs> at least three years old doing uh, T-ball. And I mean, I have pictures of me at that age with my dad just on the field. And yeah, T-ball started at that age, you know, YMCA T-ball. Yeah. Now, I know your dad was um, a reporter, but did he play also? No, uh, I get that question a lot. And no, he uh, he didn't make it past JV of high school. So uh, he went to the same high school and it was the same year as Jose Canseco and they were friends. Oh, wow. um, Coral Park High School down in Miami, but he didn't play past JV, but he loved baseball. That was always his first love. And so I think he knew even then at that point, like, all right, I can't play anymore, but I'm going to I'm going to be around the game. I'm going to find a way to be around the game. Yeah. And in turn, I'm sure that helped uh, you be around the game, too. I mean, you know, my dad didn't exactly have a career in baseball, but he 
loves it. And, you know, like I was sort of, you know, it's always around you no matter what, when you have that kind of um, passion for it. But when, when did you start realizing for yourself, like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. I might be able, I might be able to be pretty competitive with this. You know, I don't think there really ever was a time in my life at that, like in that sense, because I, I was a little league all-star when I was 11 and 12. But then after that, I really wasn't one of the better players or the best player on the field. I mean, after that in club ball, I was the 13th guy on the third, you know, 13 players on the team and uh, high school. I, I barely made the freshman team. I barely made the JV team. Uh, as a junior, I was on JV again. I repeated JV. Uh, I was cut as a senior altogether from high school. Um, and so I never, I never really had that, that edge growing up that you see a lot of guys, uh, whether it be the college level or the professional level where they were, you know, these accolades that follow them around, where it's all state, all conference, all section, um, you know, the best player at 13 in the club ball tournaments that, that, that was never me. Uh, but I was you kept persisting. You kept, yes. you kept competing. Like what, that, that, how, was it just like a love of the game that allowed you to keep doing that? It was a love of the game and the support of my father, really. Um, and it was really just those two things where it was like, well, let's keep trying. Let's keep pushing. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of stubbornness, uh, a lot of pride that, uh, you know, that, that kept telling myself, like, this isn't it. This isn't how it's going to end. And so when I got cut my senior year from the high school team, I mean, I was distraught and obviously just caught by surprise. I was in complete shock, but, um, at the time I thought, okay, well, this is the end of my baseball career. I mean, I'm 18 years old. I'm a senior in high school and this is how it's going to end. And, uh, I started applying to colleges. I mean, even, you know, before that senior year started, I didn't know, like I said, like I was never this good player, this best player. So I never really thought that, you know, is college baseball going to happen or anything, you know, even much less past that. So I had always thought about, you know, plan B, applying to colleges and um I'd applied and got into San Diego State and I was pretty set on going to San Diego State and just being a a normal student, you know, maybe join fraternity, you know, just uh get a degree, internships in the summer, you know, the whole the whole college route. And um after I'd gotten cut from my senior year, uh it was kind of that 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 fork in the road where it's like, okay, well, what do you want to do now? And I didn't want to go out like that. And so with the support of my dad and the love of the game, I, um, I ended up walking on to the junior college, uh, Mesa community college, which is a junior college near me, uh, for my freshman year. And I ended up getting hurt during the year, redshirted that like finishing like redshirted that year, went to summer ball up in Oregon. That's, I'd say, when, like, maybe things started to click. I hit 90 miles an hour from the left side. You know, just school started looking at me. And that's when University of Arizona came around. And they had initially told me that, you know, oh, we'll look at you after your sophomore year of JUCO, you know, the normal route, two years, junior college, transferring to D1. And I was like, okay, great. Well, I got all these schools that want to look at me in the fall. Never had this before, so this is just a step up on its own. And then, uh, like, about three weeks before the season, like, school was about to start, Arizona called me again and they said, Hey, one of our lefties just tore his UCL. Do you want a walk on? 
you know, you will give you the entire fall to as a walk on to try out for the team in, in the sense and um, end up making the team played traveled every weekend. And from there, things started to slowly pick up that. So I relate a lot to what you were saying about like, this is it for my, uh, this is my senior year. Um, I remember, um, cause I did, I wasn't a very good baseball player, but I played a lot of tennis and I remember, um, it was my junior year and I didn't make the varsity squad. And I just remember punching this brick wall so hard that I think I <laughs> broke a couple of my knuckles. I was so upset about it. Um, did you have some kind of visceral reaction like that? Um, where you were just like, you know, where it's, it, you know, like you've been working towards this for, right. for how many years and then they tell you, you can't do it. Like, how do you, you obviously bounce back from it, but how, how did you manage to do that? I think initially I've, you know, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of crying. Um, I never got angry and punched anything. unlike you, <laughs> but <laughs> I guess, uh, my fight or flight instincts are a little different than yours. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it was, you know, it was disheartening. It was just getting your heart ripped out. I and mean, baseball's been my first love. And it was, you know, instilled in me when I'm from an early age and because of my dad and everything that, you know, sports were always instilled, but baseball was very much encouraged. Not that any of the other sports were discouraged, but uh, baseball was obviously, it's easy to fall in love with this game. Um, and so, yeah, it was a lot of pain, a lot of crying. And then eventually it, it turned into fuel for motivation. Um, and just that feeling of what it was like to get cut and being able to hold on to that feeling, especially for like the next couple of years after that, where it felt like I really needed that boost and that motivation to get me through, uh, this, this lonely path and journey that I decided to embark on. Now you grew, you grew up in Arizona. Yes. Yeah. Phoenix, Arizona, um, suburb called Ahwatukee, just South of Phoenix. Gotcha. Yeah, I went to Arizona State for a bit, so I'm somewhat familiar with the area there. And that okay. is a very competitive part of the country to be playing baseball in. It is. Um, I mean, like, who was, did you go to high school with anybody that, like, was a big name prospect or anything? Yeah. Uh, so I went to high school with a player named Tyler Viza, and he got drafted out of high school. He was my same year. Um, he made all the way to AAA with the Phillies. Now he's pitching in Taiwan. Um, but, the rival high school was Mountain Point, and that was Cole Tucker, Scott Kingery, um, Kevin Crone, CJ Crone. Uh, there's a player named Joey Corletta. He played with the Red Sox for a few years, made up to double or triple A. And then one of our other high schools in the area that we'd play all the time was Cody Bellinger with Hamilton High School. And yep, his dad was a firefighter. I forget which town it was in, but uh, his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah just so, so much talent out there. There was a lot. And, you know, you grow up and you get older and, you know, you get to college and there's all these guys that were in the high schools in that area. And then, you know, we get to the professional and the major league level and the minor league level. And you see all these guys that, you know, you either played against with at high school or you knew of. And, you know, so there's a lot of other, like Zach Davies went to a rival high school. I think he was a senior when I was a sophomore or a freshman. And we remember, you know, we'd face him, not me because I was a pitcher, but seeing him and it's just like wow like next thing you know now he's a long-term big leaguer and just a lot of other names like that where you're like we were facing very good competition and at the moment you didn't always know it that it was where it stacked up compared to everywhere else yeah i mean if you're if that's what you're seeing on the day-to-day -day, i'm sure it doesn't seem 
unusual or you don't anything think twice like that. Until but, you look um, back now, and then you realize, oh, I was on, I was playing against Cody Bellinger for years on end, and he has an MVP sitting in his house. <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be. I mean, that's. I guess it's it's like that. Uh, it's like that. Honus Wagner saying, "There's not much to being a ball player if you're a ball player." You know? <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a great way to put it. When you were at um, U of A, I mean, that must have been going from being cut your senior year to being on. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a legit college. That's D one. Like that's Absolutely. there are some there are some really good players to have come out of there. I mean, how did you did the, 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 the when you found out that you were that you were getting on there? I mean, did you go out and celebrate right away, or was it just like okay, what's the next thing? There was a little moment of celebration, but it was also a rush because I had about three weeks until school was starting, so it was getting down to Tucson, getting my classes, um, getting registered, applying to college, all of that. And then it was, okay, now I got to move down to Tucson, bring everything. Um, and so it was a quick rush, but there was definitely a couple of moments when you step on the field in that first fall and you're like, wow, do I, do I really belong with all these guys, you know, all these players? And um, that infield, my first year, all four positions, every single one of them has made it to the major leagues. Uh, it was Bobby Dahlbeck at third base. Kevin Newman, who's now with the Reds, was with the Pirates, shortstop. Scott Kingery at second base, who's with the Phillies. And then J.J. Matajevic, who uh, just won the World Series with the Astros. And then we also had um, Willie Calhoun was there, who had made it to the show. Uh, Jared Oliva was an outfielder who had made it to the show. Cal Stevenson, who's an outfielder, has made it to the show. Um, so you're, you're around all this, con- this you know, great competition and these great players and it's very easy to look around and be like, do I, do I fit in with all these guys? Like I was just cut a year and a half ago from my senior year of baseball. And now I'm pitching to Bobby Dahlbeck in an inner squad and facing Kevin Newman. And, you know, it's a surreal moment. When did you realize like, okay, like I do belong here. Probably a few outing, a few inner squad outings into it. When I realized like, okay, I can get these guys out. Like, you know, I'm, getting Bobby to ground out. I'm getting Kevin Newman to fly out, uh, you know, whoever it is up to bat. And I'm realizing like, okay, well, if I can get them out, then I for sure belong and I can keep up with these guys. What? Cause I know, um, I know Bobby was a, um, like, obviously he's a third baseman, first baseman now, but he was, uh, he was a two way player in college, right? Yes, he was. And uh, he was one of the players where he made the game look so incredibly easy at the collegiate level, almost like, you know, like when you're, when you're 12 or you're watching the little leaguers play and you're watching that one kid who's playing little league and he is just leagues ahead of everyone else where he's pitching, he's hitting and home runs and he's pitching and throwing harder than everyone's striking everyone out. And that was Bobby at the collegiate level. And I mean, to this day, he was still one of the best college baseball players I've ever seen where it just, it came so easy that he was able to do both sides. It was Shohei Otani of college baseball where, He's not even practicing pitching during the week because he's throwing from third base all the time. And so, you know, he's coming in to pitch and he might not even warm up for the game. And he's just ripping off the tape as he's walking from third base up to the mound. And he's just going to go close the game out for us and sit 95 and throw one of the best changeups I've ever seen. And then the next day he's going to go hit a home run and a double and have four RBIs on the night. And it was just, it was incredible to watch got to be fun having that for a teammate too, where you can see that and actually root for the guy. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, and then, you know, you get to know him and you know how good of a person he is and how good of a guy is that it's just, it was a no brainer and a no doubter that you're always going to root for this guy, no matter what. Yeah. Um, I mean, just watching him last, I mean, he's had some very good moments with the Red Sox last season. It seemed like it was a bit of a struggle for him. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think he's the like? Do you have any insight into how he's been spending this off season preparing for? Because um, it seems, I mean, he's still on the forty man roster. It seems like right. there's an opportunity here with Cassis that you know, like there needs to be a backup first baseman. Turner hasn't played a ton of first at the major league level. What's what's his work ethic like? Like, what's what what does he do for preparation? Man, he has really locked it in the last couple of years. Because uh, you know he lives right here in Scottsdale. He doesn't live too far from me. He's probably couple miles away and we'll see each other from time to time and but he's become very focused and very locked in on on this on his career uh you know he doesn't go out and drink and party I mean he's he goes he works out he hits he goes home he goes he hits works out goes home and um just living a very quiet life and it's been I mean, I think it's been great for him regardless of like you know what's been going on on the field or uh you know results wise I think he's in a much better place these last few years and just things are consistent, things are settled. And it's really great to see, see that turn on. He always had the work ethic. I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't have that in college, but it was, I think he was at a different point where, you know, the game came a little easier than others. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, Oh gosh, my dad would always make this joke that, um, when you get into MIT, there's still got to be like 50, half the class is going to finish in the bottom half of MIT. And when you get to the majors, I right. imagine it's kind of the same thing. Where every, It's like, yeah, everybody's a big fish there. Exactly. Just at MIT, everyone's a genius. So just because you're a genius too, doesn't make you the best of the best. And uh, I mean, obviously that's, that's no different in the baseball world. Everyone here is good, no matter what level you're at. So, um, you got like as you were saying before. You got drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore, thirty um, sixth yeah. round. Um, did you expect to be drafted that day? And what was the process like for you? Because I guess that would have been like what, like the third day, the third day at that point. Right. It was day three, uh, and I'll tell you what, that was the best and the worst day of my life, all in one. Uh, just in the sense of just how much of a roller coaster it was. Because I think my senior year, it started off really good. The first half was great, and I expected to get drafted. And then the second half of the year, it kind of hit a road bumps, and it wasn't as great. And I thought, okay, well, I think I'll still get drafted. Um, But if not, I have this fifth year available. And so I always knew, like, okay, well, I could always do a grad transfer, go to a different school, and – at least have one more year of baseball if I didn't get drafted. But leading up to the draft, I really thought I was going to be drafted, I don't know, at some point in the teens, late teens, um, somewhere around there. I mean, and I like, I, you know, obviously I fell all the way to 36. But I think what I've realized, like, as time went on is then by learning, like, from other guys' stories is that basically whatever you're expected, whatever round you're expected to be drafted in, double it. Uh, it seems like a lot of guys who thought they were going to be fifth rounders ended up being like 10th rounders. And if you thought you were going to be in the early day two, you know, in the 11, 12s, 13s, you ended up being like a 20th rounder. Um, and so that's what I realized. And then I, after I'd gotten drafted, I mean, so then that's what happened was, you know, so the rounds were flying by and they start to pick up towards the end because, you know, it's quick. It's just like, boom, 
Milwaukee Brewers select this. Arizona Diamondbacks select this. Uh, Seattle Mariners select this. Boston Red Sox select this. And it's just flying by. And the rounds are going by. And I just got to about 25, 26, 27. I'm like, wow, I don't think I'm going to get drafted. Round 30 comes. I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm turning off the TV. I'm going to bed. This, you know, all, all my hopes and expectations for this day have just been dashed. And I went to my room. I shut the door. <laughs> I remember maybe five, ten minutes later, my parents are yelling from downstairs, hey, you got drafted. It happened. And I didn't get a call ahead of time from anyone on the Red Sox or the scout, um, Vaughn, who ended up drafting me. And so I had no idea. And I ran downstairs like, what? no way. And there's 36 rounds of the Boston Red Sox. And. I mean, that, then it became the best day of my life at that point because, you know, it's just, just that roller coaster of the ups and downs and it's just so joyous and so perfect. And uh, and then after that, you know, it was a great celebration. It was a great time and still a day I'll never forget. What did your dad tell you um, going into that? Because he would obviously have a lot of insight into the draft process. Did he, did he tell you, like, kind of like how to manage your emotions during it or like what kind of advice did he have? You know, so as much as he did work around baseball, it was always the major league side. Um, and so he really didn't have this any, you know, much more of an insight than anyone else to the draft or even the minor leagues. And so a lot of it was him learning vicariously as I'm learning, you know, at the same time. I mean, we, we were learning together because even though, you know, he's been around baseball for 30 some years, it didn't matter where he didn't know enough about what, you know, the minor leagues or just, you know, how things went and with the, the draft and the whole process. And so he was, yeah, he was learning and picking it up as I was going and we were learning together. And obviously, you know, people can tell you and advice and get you as prepared as possible, but nothing is going to, you know, substitute for the real world experience, the actual experience that takes place with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, what did he say after you got drafted? Because it sounds like he and your mom were pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty excited about it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, this was his dream come true as well. And, you know, he was crying, tears, hugs. I mean, just, you know, one of the proudest days of his life. And all around, I mean, it was just an awesome day. Were you a Sox fan growing up? Like, had you did you have any interest in the Red Sox before they drafted you? Uh, not necessarily. I, I, you know, I grew up a Diamondbacks fan. Uh, when, you know, the hometown team wins the world series when you're six years old. Uh, oh my God. That was, that's your, that was a great team too. That 2001 yeah. team. And that's your childhood right there. And then, you know, as you get older, you realize the magnitude that, you know, they, they destroyed the Yankee dynasty. I mean, that was really <laughs> the fall. That was the end of the Yankee dynasty. They had been going on this tear of going to the world series, winning the world series, winning the world series, winning the world series. And then, you know, they should have had that world series too. And to losing game seven against Mariano Rivera on a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's those situations that you put yourself when you're eight years old and you're playing wiffle ball. You're like, all right, bottom of the ninth tie game, two outs. So-and-so's up to bat. Here we go. You know? And so I think at that point I was always a Diamondbacks fan. Um, so I was never much of a Red Sox fan, but I'll tell you what, I never liked the Yankees. So it was always easy for me to cheer for the Red Sox. And then, you know, you watch what the Red Sox did in 04 and you're like, oh, that is awesome. And then you, you know, you see Fever Pitch, one of still one of my favorite movies. And, you know, the 30 for 30, four days in October and all of these things lead up to it. And you're like, man, Red Sox are a cool organization. And I didn't know much about it. You know, it's all the way other side of the country, but 
was always a fan of. And at, at that point, you know, they started to grow on me. I got to show this. Uh, we got a comment here on what you just said. Uh, I, this is all capital letters if uh, you're <laughs> listening to this. From the Brad Chandler show, our very own. I never liked the Yankees. Yes. <laughs> so you just uh, I think you just made some friends here. <laughs> I was, you know, I was just I was never a fan of you know the 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 Goliaths. I always liked the Davids. I always liked the underdogs. And in my mind, the Red Sox always felt like the the you know in that in that AL East battle that constantly went on every year. It, was, it felt like the Red Sox were the David year after year after year. And so, and in any sports, I never liked cheering for you know the super team. I like I love watching the Cowboys lose. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Dolphins fan, so I loved watching the Patriots lose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just those teams, you know. I was like, "Yes, all right." Now let's see someone new win this. You know, who's who's the next underdog? So that always felt good. Yeah, and I mean, the Diamondbacks were definitely 2001. I mean, that's a great place to start for that. I mean, so who is who is your favorite player from that team? Who is your favorite player growing up? So I had two favorite players growing up um, from the Diamondbacks. It was Tony Womack. Uh, he was I like that. Favorite. I like that answer. That was my favorite Dimebag growing up, number five. Um, and then my all-time player growing up was Andrew Jones. Another very good uh, answer there. You know, I never had the athleticism that the, those two did, or the speed that could run that those two did, and uh, what they did in the outfield. But, but yes, Andrew Jones was my all-time player growing up. Where, like, I loved him and like just watching him and just I used to check the newspapers and the box scores and. You know, just go see what, what did the Braves do? What did what did Andrew Jones do? Make sure I'm reading the right Jones, not the Chipper Jones that's in the <laughs> box score. And just, uh, but yeah, that was that was my number one. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta be feeling pretty good about his odds to get into the Hall of Fame now. I am now, uh, and you know what's funny is that like so the first year he was uh, eligible, he didn't receive many votes. He barely passed that five percent. And I remember um, my dad called Andrew and told him he goes, hey. I voted you for the Hall of Fame this year. And I just want to let you know that, you know, I always thought you were a great player, but the real reason that I voted for you was because you were my son's favorite player growing <laughs> up. <laughs> so it was kind of your, like your vote for, uh, it for was almost, yes, it was, it was my vote, but you know what? I feel very confident that next year he's going to get, he's going to find his way into the hall. And I think it's deservedly so. I mean, what he did those first seven plus years in Atlanta was just unbelievable. Yeah. If I mean, he, I think he's. It's been cool seeing how much support he's gotten. I feel like defense is more valued now than it used to be. I don't know when that happened, but you think about some of these guys from the '90s, like you know, like Mike Piazza, players that were all bat no glove. You don't see, right. them, you know, you're seeing that defensive um, renaissance in a way. I think. Yeah. But um, got a question here uh, from Brad. If you weren't a baseball player, what would you be doing? Uh, so originally I went into college as an engineering degree, uh, major. Um, and I wasn't really, you know, at the time I hadn't decided what kind of engineering, um, I've always had a passion for the environment. And so I thought, you know, something with like, you know, sustainability. Um, so whether that is, you know, just making buildings more sustainable, um, through engineering or, you know, energy sources, um, something along those lines. And so I started my first year at U of A as a engineering degree major and first fall went great. Got a three, five crushed it in the classes. Um, had no problem with the labs and balancing baseball. Then that spring came along and we're flying, we're traveling, you know, we're playing four days a week, practicing all the time. We fly every Thursday to 
wherever, you know, UCLA, Stanford, whoever playing that weekend. And uh, the grades took a toll. I realized how hard the balance was between school and baseball. And so at that moment, I told myself, I was like, all right, you need to make a decision. Do you want to be good at school or do you want to be good at baseball? And so from there, I decided, all right, I'm going to change my major. So that way I can just have a little more flexibility and make things a little bit easier on myself instead of staying up till 2, 3 a.m. every single night to complete calculus homework and then chem homework and then bio homework. And it just became too much of a grind. What would you end up switching to? Uh, environmental econ. Oh, I mean, that still still seems like that's like up your alley. It's just less math. It was exactly. And that's, uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to, you know, some, I didn't want like the easiest route possible. I still wanted something, especially after I completed all these science classes, I wanted to make sure these science classes were going to be used towards my next major. So that way I didn't just completely waste my time taking all these bios and chems and labs. And so I found this one. I was like, all right, this is perfect. It's a good mix of the science, the economic side, and then also the environmental side. And I, I really enjoyed those classes. Uh, did you um, did you end up completing the degree or did you get drafted before uh, before that? So I was a redshirt junior when I got drafted and I was a senior academically. So I graduated the same year that I uh, got drafted, which is fantastic and a huge weight off my shoulders in the <laughs> sense that, you know, that I, just, I never had to go back to school and I've seen dozens of my teammates who had to complete school in their off seasons or during the season. I'm just so grateful looking back that wow, I'm glad I've never had to encounter that. So you mentioned, um, you know, having a passion for the environment. Um, outside of baseball, what are some of your hobbies? Uh, I love to be outside. I like um, hiking, golfing, camping. Um, even like just like riding my bike outside. Uh, just like it's just like just to me, like like being outside is like my escape. And so even in season, I've just found ways to make sure I can keep, you know, fulfilling that that escape and keep filling filling that that jar with the marbles and making sure that, you know, at, at least on that Monday off day, I do something that's outside or maybe before the game on during the day, I go walk around the city or just just get out, just get some fresh air and keep everything in balance. So um, just to go back to your career a little bit, um, 2022 seemed like it was a bit of a uh, bit of an off season for you with um, it. it like you, what was what was the injury that you were dealing with? I got myocarditis. Oh, um, from COVID. So oh, it's gotcha. inflammation of the heart muscle. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. Um, I had a very, I had something very similar happen um, after my booster. Um, wow, I that was not very reported. It was not. Uh, yeah, I did notice that it went undisclosed everywhere, but I mean, I don't. I don't think there's any reason for it to be a secret. Um, but yes, I ended up missing all of spring training, March, April, May. And then I got to the season, you know, around mid June or wherever it was. And, um, but yeah, so I missed half the season and I just had to rest when I was in Florida. I just couldn't run, couldn't lift. I could only throw to 90 feet just so at least my arm would stay alive. So it didn't just go dormant for three months. Um, and then I came back and I just, I wasn't the same. And I mean, uh, leading up to, spring training they had been told you know you're competing for a triple a job here and then obviously i never had spring training i got shut down immediately and i think the what was gathered was that you know they told me you know you just you're, you'll go to portland to start the year whenever you start and then you know once you're ready we'll bring you up to, to worcester at that point and i just i never was able to find things to click uh obviously 
dealing things with my heart. I was feeling it all the time. Um, so it's hard to stay focused on the batter at hand, but then also I just had trouble finding the zone. Uh, I've never really been much of a walk guy, but I started walking guys. I started hitting guys and just, uh, yeah, it was, it was off season to the fullest. And um, it definitely became a year that, you know, just you look back, you reflect, you learn, and then wash it away. Yeah. I mean, that's really all you can do with it. And it's, you know, you'll have another opportunity now, or you, you must be excited for the, uh, the season starting soon. I can't wait. I, uh, I actually leave here in two days on Thursday and begin my drive from Arizona to Fort Myers. And, oh my God. Um, you're doing the drive. Yeah, I do the drive. I did it last year. I did it last year by myself. And then I get my car up to the Northeast and then I drove home from Maine last year by myself. Um, uh, you know, it's one of those where it's like once you can accomplish it once, it's it's very, very gratifying feeling. And you're like, wow, like I just made a cross country drive by myself. And then, you know, you feel like, all right, well, I can do this again and I can do this again. Like it's not once you've done it once, it's you realize it's it's in the moment. Not great, but it's very accomplishable. <laughs> no, I mean, there's something satisfying about that, too. Just seeing all these parts of the country kind of fly by and really experiencing all uh all the states has to offer. I mean, do you, what do you, what do you do like for those long stretches? Are you just like listening to the radio or I guess podcasts or um, yeah. like, um, like playlists? Like, what do you, what do you do during that? I, you know, I, I listen to music for as long as I can until I get bored with that. And then I'll switch to podcasts for as long as I can until I get bored. And then I'll start making calls, you know, family, friends, whoever, uh, just to help pass the time, especially uh, the first half of this drive. I, it's, it's all desert. I mean, you're going through West Texas and it takes about seven, eight hours and you're seeing nothing but the same from the moment you cross through El Paso till about you get to about mid Texas, San Antonio, Austin area. And then, then the scenery starts to change. We, you know, that drastic change from desert to, you know, I guess what the environment in the South is like, where it's more trees and wooded and green and something, you know, you're not as used to out here in Phoenix. And uh, so, yeah, the first half of the drive is the hardest, but like what you were saying, it, it's a great way to experience the country and playing baseball is one of the, those things that I'm just incredibly grateful for is how much of the country I've been able to see because it's hard to see the country by plane, but by bus and by all these cities that we stop to and play, it's, I mean, I've, I've basically seen the entire country minus the Midwest. I mean, in college, we played the entire PAC 12. So we're up and down the whole West coast. We play in Texas. We play, sometimes across the South, but then with the Red Sox, I mean, you, the first stop was Lowell Mass. And so you get that portion of New York and the Northeast and that mid Atlantic area, and then Greenville, South Carolina. So then you get the whole South and, you know, that stretches from Georgia all the way to Virginia, to Maryland, to Kentucky, and then Salem, same thing, Virginia, all the way up to Delaware, down to South Carolina and Myrtle beach. And then now Portland, the Northeast, Pennsylvania, New York, all across. And so, it's it's just one of those things where I love to look out the window and just see what's going on and pick it all up and take it all in. Yeah, and I mean, just get to, now you get to say when you when you know like you hear about something in the news happening somewhere, you can say, "Oh, I've been there. I know. Right. I know what it's like there." Um, do you have any places that you went to that really stand? Like when you think about all of these places that you've gotten to travel to, um, your mind just kind of immediately goes there. Yeah, I would say you know what I think. The Red Sox orgs are very lucky that the cities that they are in are fantastic. 
uh, we go on the road and we go to see these other cities and towns and, you know, it makes you grateful that I, I loved Greenville, South Carolina. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is beautiful. And the park is right in downtown and it's, the city is much alive. And then Portland, Maine, same thing. Absolutely love it. In the summertime, you can't beat it. The weather's unbelievable. The city's right on the harbor, the food, the weather, there's just so much to do. And, you know, it's really great home cities to be in where you spend most of your time. Yeah, that actually brings me into um, the first of our uh, Twitter questions. And this is from uh, at the Eddie Davis. Um, is Portland Maine an underrated food hotspot? Absolutely. I think all of Maine is underrated and just almost this little, uh, this little secret that's keep uh, you know just tucked away deep in the northeast and you know for people in massachusetts obviously it's not this it's not a secret as much but all these people you know out west or and and you know anywhere else in the country i don't think they know how great maine is and the food is unbelievable the seafood i mean it's not just the lobster it's the mussels the shrimp the clams the fish uh everything and it's all caught you know within a 10 20 mile radius right outside of portland and brought in right there to the ports and yeah, I, the, that's some of my favorite restaurants. There's unbelievable seafood and then unbelievable Asian food. I haven't heard that recommendation as much for Portland. Um, do you have any places? Because I go there. I'm not going to say regularly, but I usually go up there a couple times a year. Yeah, there was a few few Asian spots that I really liked. Um, oh, man, I would have to look them up and text you. But there's a couple good sushi spots um that i really enjoyed and then there's also a good uh a good thai spot and i can't remember the name of the thai spot but it's right there on the main street i tell uh, you what i'll i'll hit you up for this later and then okay. i'll share it on twitter for everybody um and it'll probably be a night nice, it'll be nice for uh sea dogs fans to have another place to uh to check yeah. out when they're there the crispy duck at that thai place is something i'll just i'll never forget where i was like wow this is this is it right here. And I, I make sure I go back. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, the older I get, I, I don't think I don't have sex dreams anymore. I have food dreams. I remember <laughs> meals like very, very detailed and graphically. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, you can taste it. You can feel it. You can smell it. It's like, wow, this is this, this is the place. It's one of those places you never forget. And I think um, my all time favorite restaurants in Portland, too, is uh, Street & Co. I don't, I don't think I've ever been there. there. Uh, that is my all-time favorite restaurant that I've ever been to. And the seafood, they, um, the clams, or the mussels, I'm sorry, as the appetizer is in this lemon garlic butter sauce. Oh, God. Incredible. Best mussels I've ever had. And then the plates you can get, a lot of them are cooked in, um, like, on the saute pan. They deliver the food in the saute pan that they cooked it on. And you oh, eat it straight from the pan, the and it's... It's just an incredible, incredible dish. Oh, gosh. We're doing this at, like, just so you know, um, if you're listening to this, we're doing this at, like, 5 p.m. And I haven't eaten very much today, so I'm just, <laughs> I'm just super hungry now. <laughs> yeah, not the best time for East Coast time right now. <laughs> and yet here we are. Um, so we're going to do I – you know, I'm going to save that for a little later because I have a couple of questions from one of your teammates, a fellow lefty, uh, Dominic Labruto. Uh, had a couple of questions for me to ask you. And the first is, how far are you in your coloring book? <laughs> uh, I've accomplished a few more pages this off season, probably about four to six more pages in my coloring book. Um, 
when we were both hurt last year and we were sitting around in Florida, uh, you know, you get tired of the screens, you get tired of TV, you get tired of your phone and you're like, I need something new or I need something to, to stimulate my mind. And so we went and bought coloring books at Barnes and Noble and we would just start coloring when we were bored and it really helped pass the time when we were sitting in the hotels. What kind of coloring books? Cause I've seen my, my fiance likes those too. So I'm not, uh, I know what you're talking about, but like what kind were your, uh, uh were your coloring was, uh, books? Called like worlds of wonder. Um, and we just bought like a 40 pack of, uh, coloring pencils to go with it. And it was almost like, 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 like dreamlike, like, like a hot air balloon carrying an elephant. And then like, a bike made out of flowers and um, like this Smurf looking page. And then, <laughs> what yeah, like, like, a, like a it, felt, it felt like I was like, like I was watching the Smurfs, like on one of the pages, like there's like these little like mushroom houses. <laughs> uh, there's another one where there's like, like a windmill sitting above, like, like on an Island and like, there's like a little underwater scene in the picture too. And so just, it was just fun to just, you know, just let your mind, wander and carry away in that. It sounds very relaxing. Um, I do have a second question from Dominic though. And that's on a scale of one to 300 yard shuttles, how eyewash is your pregame scream? <laughs> and I have no idea what that means. I feel like I just read another language, but that you did just run another language. Was. I would say uh, there's no eyewash. I think it really helps me get in the zone and uh get me into that competition mode but that pregame screen scream really uh alters my brain it alters my uh my mindset going into it so is that like a pregame ritual you have it's become one <laughs> yes it's become one in the last year and a half or so and i thought it i think it has helped uh i picked it up from another one of our teammates from 21 seth blair and he used to do it and uh i just it it kind of clicked for me. Things started to click in with it. So I'm gonna now we're now that we're um, I I actually do have one question about Dominic. Has he introduced you to RuneScape? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, I remember playing RuneScape when I was like in eight years old and ten years old, whenever it was. Right. Know, I was big at the time. Um, but yes, I think it's <laughs> unbelievable that he still plays RuneScape to this day. Um, it's one of those where you know you just you just sometimes you gotta let 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 him be. Uh, if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. But I will never be joining RuneScape again. Um, <laughs> I left I left that stage of my life when I was about ten years old, and he still brought it back. And now we're in our mid twenties, and he's still doing it. <laughs> but it's gone for it, it, the real Gomez RuneScape is gone for good. Yes, my RuneScape days are gone for good, and it's more one of those where I, I walk in, see what he's doing, he's playing RuneScape. I'm like, oh great, all right, well I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, watch. I don't want to support. I don't want him to think that, that it's cool what he's doing. <laughs> if he needs it for his escape, sure. But I'm not going to let him know that it's, that it's cool. <laughs> you do not consider yourself a RuneScape enabler is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to condone that at all. <laughs> okay. So back to, um, the, our Twitter questions. Um, this one is from Firefighter4547. Do you think that you can strike Marcelo Meyer out? 
I mean, I think anybody can be struck out and I think anybody can hit a home run off anybody. Um, I, you know, I haven't actually watched him enough to see what his swing or what his approach looks like, but yeah, I believe in myself. I believe in myself that I could strike him out. That's a good answer, but, and this is a follow-up from uh, Brad Chandler. If you could face any batter past or present, who would you like to face? Ooh, I don't know if I've ever thought about that one. Um, probably Ken Griffey Jr. Ooh. I think he had Ooh. the prettiest swing, and it was coming from the left side. And um, So you'd be the guy pitching to him, especially if there's, if there's time travel involved with this. You could go in as like a one. You could be a loogie for this one. You know, they're yeah. bringing you in. This Coming is your in guy. just for him, and that's it. And you know what? Since it's hypothetical, if I gave one up to him, I'd be okay with it because I'd have the best view in the house to watch watch that swing happen and watch the ball connect. So it would be one of those like I I ain't even mad. <laughs> yeah, you're just like wow. You know, there's something about a good home run. There's, uh, I, I love giving up a good home run. Uh, not that I, you know, I love giving up a run. But <laughs> if I'm going to give up a home run, it better be a good one. Uh, yeah, I don't like, like they the have wall, to earn it. And I don't like the wall scrapers. I don't like the ones that barely sneak out. I like the ones that are just like off the bat, you knew, and it's 450 plus, And you're like, wow, I'm going to, I got to turn around and watch this one. Like, this is good for him. He got all of it. Are there any guys that you've struck out that like, you know, like major leaguers either during spring training or during a rehab outing for them or afterwards you were like, I just struck that guy out. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt just because it's early in spring training and, you know, you're like, yeah, I just struck out Xander or I just struck out, you know, whoever it might be. Uh, I think I got in Xander a couple of times, and, but it's one of those where you're like, you know, maybe his timing's not there. You know, he's, <laughs> He's still working. He's still working things out, just like we're all working things out. So, or he's as fresh as possible, and you beat him at the Ooh. peak of his game. Now that's the optimist way of thinking about it. I like that more. <laughs> Optimism can be more fun than realism. I think <laughs> it's not September. He's not beat down and tired from the season. I just got him at his freshest. Yeah, yeah. No, he's absolutely healthy right now. Um, so I'm just looking at a few more of these. Um, this is from Andrew Kendo. And it's, is life on the road going to get easier for players in terms of travel and accommodations? Or I guess maybe, is it, has it gotten easier? A hundred percent. I think um, ever since post-COVID, things have gotten a lot easier and a lot smoother. And so pre-COVID, I mean, the biggest thing that's changed is now that we play those, the six game series. And then every Monday's an off day. And so, you know, we might go to Reading, Pennsylvania, and it's a seven-hour bus ride, but we'll bus on that Monday, which is fine. So then we get in in the afternoon or the evening, and, you know, you have that, that day to hang out. And then we leave Sunday after the day game, back from Reading, back to Portland, and we'll we get back, you know, late Sunday night, but we have all of Monday off. Um, and so, like, in that sense, the schedule has just cleared things up and made things so much more manageable and easier where in the past pre-covid in 19 and 18 i mean i can remember we'd go 20 days without an off day and in those 20 days nine of them are a road trip and it's a three-game series here and then the three-game series is over and then that night we are busing to the next city and we might get in at three in the morning but we play that same day that night and the next, you know, three game later, we bust to the next city and now we're, you know, wherever else. And then same thing, we get in late at night and we're playing that next night. And so 
now with the guaranteed off day once a week and that and the scheduling of a six game series has made has made travel and life so much more manageable so much more easier where uh you know i used we get a lot of these you know now that i'm one of the older guys in the uh in the locker room in the clubhouse at spring training i mean you see these younger guys who were drafted in 2020 or sooner you know since then and they don't know what it's like they don't they they never had to experience those days where you're just like wow this is game 17 in a row and it's mid-july and we're out here in myrtle beach or yeah, the air conditioner just broke <laughs> yeah and you're just like we haven't had an off day and their sleep schedules are all over the place and we're all in one bus and you know things you know they, they have it easy now in my eyes <laughs> all oh, these good guys. that's good to hear but it's also good to hear that you were able to uh to get through it before it got uh it, it got better um so oh sorry no no go ahead i have nothing Oh, I was going to say, we got um, a lightning round for you now, um, where right. I'm just going to ask you, you've got 10 seconds to answer these. Um, favorite food? Uh, my mom's eggplant parmesan. Favorite movie? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Last TV show you watched? Uh, I've been watching in between Seinfeld and um, the Jack Ryan uh, show on Amazon. Oh, the John Krasinski one? Yes, with John Krasinski. Um, your, what is your, your top five, the first five songs on your playlist or your road trip? Ooh, okay. I love country and I love indie. So I'm going to put some Zach Bryan in there. Uh, he's one of my favorites and then we'll mix in some, not sure, maybe some red hot chili peppers and some John Mayer and Lumineers, something around that, 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 that type of genre. Hey, you got one more, you got one more to pick. Uh, shoot. Okay. Uh, and then we'll go old school with Tom Petty. Nice. That, that's a very good one. I actually got to see John Mayer for the first time back in May. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I saw him a few years back and it was incredible. I mean, what he can do on the guitar is just something special. You don't don't appreciate it. I feel like until you actually see it live and then you're just like, this is, this is, I under, this this is, this is like just, this is, this guy's a freak. Like, (laughs) yeah. The concert felt like one big jam fest. Uh, you know, he's just adding in guitar solos and riffing and they're just jamming together as a band. And, you know, a song that might be three minutes turned into eight minutes and you're not upset about it at all. Yeah. That, that's the side of a good show too, when they drag it out like that. And you're just like, yeah, give me more. Different from the studio version of the song. And it just creates like something different where it's like, all right, this, this is a lasting impression. And it's a memorable concert. That's different from what I can hear on Spotify. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, the amount that you're spending, it should be different because you could just stay home and listen to it. Exactly. You wanted that exact same thing. Okay, a couple more of these ones. Um, Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii. Funniest teammate? uh, Jake Thompson. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Um, uh, Favorite dinosaur? Ooh, uh, we'll go Brachiosaurus. Classic pick. Um, uh, last but not least, what is your golf handicap? Oh, uh, probably about 20, maybe 22. Uh, I'm there to have fun. I have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, about that... 92, 95, somewhere in there, but, uh, I had, I had fun. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's the most important thing with it. You can, you know, when you're older, that's when you can get really good at golf, when you can just focus <laughs> on that. That's what I think my dad's done. Um, I'd love to be good at golf now, but it just, it doesn't seem attainable right now. It's hard, you know, it's hard to be, you look at someone like John Smaltz, who's like, what was he like? He was like a professional level golfer in a Hall of yeah. Fame. 
pitcher. Like, I don't Brad know how Stalford. guys. It's like save save some of that talent for the rest of us, you know. <laughs> Spread the um, wealth here. <laughs> now, this is a question from um, one of my co-hosts, uh, Brandon Brewer, and he said, um, "You went to the same school as Rob Ref Snyder. Um, do you do you, have you talked to Rob either while in college at U of A or since being drafted?" Um, so I, Rob got drafted, I think in 2012, which was before I even graduated high school, but he is one of the heroes of Arizona. They won the national championship while he was at Arizona and he was the MVP of the team. And he was, you know, he was the best player that year in, in Omaha. And, uh, so I, I don't obviously always known about him, but I actually have never met him until I think it was last year at spring training when he showed up for the Red Sox. Um, I knew some of the other guys who were around the same draft class as his, that I've met um, and they're all, you know, they're all still friends to this day. So it made it really easy to get along and get to know him. Yeah. Love to see a guy like that uh, be as successful as he was last year. It's a so. great story. I mean, you know, he, he obviously he was, a, he was a high round pick, but he's been grinding his way, you know, basically in that foray, that, uh, that purgatory of getting to the show, going back down, getting to the show, going back down. And then, you know, finally last year he proved what he could do when he's in the lineup every day. And just to be able to see that, it was like, I'm glad he got rewarded with this year's contract because yeah. it's much to- I mean, you talk about Griffey's swing, and I'm not going to compare Ref Snyder's swing to Griffey's, but that, that's one pretty, pretty swing Rob Ref Snyder has. He does have a pretty swing. I will give him that. Um, so this is – I've got two more questions for you. Um, this is the last of our um, our user questions, and it is – from Rich6567, and that's, what is the biggest lesson about baseball that you learned from uh, your father, Pedro Gomez? Uh, I Probably self-belief and self-confidence. Um, I mean, I, you know, baseball is a team sport, but it's very individualistic. There's, there's no one else on the mound. There's no one else at the plate, and it's very much on you. Uh, and so even though, yes, there are defenders behind you and there's other batters in the lineup, you know, when, when it's your turn, it is just a series of one-on-one battles. Um, and so, you know, when you're out there, there's, there's no one else, there's no coach, there's no parent, there's no teammate to help you throw the baseball. And I think that, that it's so important and such a hard lesson to learn, but it takes that time of growing up and, you know, becoming, the adult and the human man that you're supposed to be is that, you know, that, that it's been taught, you know, there's this, the importance of self-belief, self-confidence. And I think that it's such an important trait that can carry over to everything. I mean, that's not just a baseball or just a sports thing. I mean, that, that ability to be, you know, to have that self-confidence and believe in yourself. I mean, that, that carries over to every facet of life. And so I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I can take away from, from my dad. Yeah, was he? Because uh, you know, he's, I imagine he was traveling a lot with um, with his work. But was he at most of your games growing up? He was, and that's what was great. Was that, you know, obviously he was gone for work. Uh, you know, he might be gone the whole month of October, and he'll be gone, you know, throughout the season for Tuesday night baseball or Sunday night baseball, whatever reports, stories, you know, Barry Bonds, whatever it might be. But when he was home, he was home, and it, you know, he didn't have to. There was it was he didn't bring work with him home. So when he was home you know, in town, he was there, he's cooking dinners, he's running errands, he's picking us up from school, going to every practice, going to every game. And so I, that was unbelievable. And the other thing too, is, you know, Tucson, University of Arizona is in Tucson, and that's about 
hour and a half, two hours from where I grew up. And it was very easy for him and my mom to get in the car and come down for the weekend, you know, come down for the Friday night game, stay the night, be there for the Saturday night game, drive back or however it was. And so they were, they were able to come to a lot of games and that was great. Yeah. I would imagine um, your mom's also a pretty big baseball fan. She, not as much as my dad, obviously. Uh, <laughs> she uh, obviously now by, you know, by this age, she knows the game, but when they first started dating and were married, she did not know the game and she, she's learned over the years. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like she's there. She's, you know, like very proud of you also just from everything you've said, which is, I don't know. Like, I feel like for me, like at least whenever I do something like well that I know I've done well, I just want my parents to hear about it. And like, I don't know, yeah. like you kind of feel like you're, there's a part of you that's doing it for them also. And Absolutely. I don't know, like it's, I don't know. That's got That's gotta be really cool for like, you know, for them to see you get drafted and to see you pitch on a, like a, at like a professional stage. Like that's, that's got, that's just, that's gotta be absolutely awesome. I think those were some of the best times is when they would come out and, you know, whether it was in Lowell or Greenville or Salem, then making the flight or, you know, Portland, making the flight, coming out all the way across the country to the Eastern seaboard to, to come watch baseball. Uh, that, those were always the best. And, you know, there was times where my dad would be working, whether he was in Bristol or, you know, he had a Baltimore Orioles game or whatever it was. And he's like, Oh, well, I'm not that far from Frederick. So let me just drive over and I'll come watch you put pitch down there for a few days. And, things like that so that was always great yeah um so last last question for you and this is what i always ended on but um do you have any pets did you grow up with any pets do you have any now <laughs> i don't have any pets right now i grew up with uh dogs i would love to have a dog but right now you know just with baseball and you know that gypsy lifestyle of being on the move <laughs> for six months at home six months on the season uh it's just it's not I can't, I can't take care of a dog like I'd want to. So I'd have it's to no life for a puppy. Yeah, it's not the same. You know, I want to be able to, you know, take him out and do things and, and be there, you know, obviously yeah. throughout the year. But yeah, so not yet. What, but, what kind of dog did you grow up with? Uh, they were uh, they're dogs from the pound, but one was like an Australian shepherd mix. Um, and then the other one was another type of shepherd mix. I can't remember, but pound dogs always. That's always been my, uh, my go is just the, the adopt, don't shop style. Definitely rescues are rescues are definitely the way to go. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that uh, you've got to head out. So thank you so much for um, for giving us this time and for uh, for talking with us. It was really a lot of fun having you here. Um, where can people follow you on social media if uh, if they want to? So the only social media I am on is uh, Instagram. Uh, I don't have Twitter. Don't have Facebook. Um, but I do have Instagram. So at a uh, it's Rio underscore Gomez is my Instagram handle. And uh, I'll promise to be a little more lively with it and keep more updated. Uh, well, you know, best of luck as uh, you head out to spring training. Um, looking forward to seeing how you uh, how you progress. There's definitely uh, definitely some spots for some left-handed pitching on this team. So uh, looking forward to uh, to following you pro uh, progressing there. And um, just best best of luck this season. Absolutely. Thank you, Ed. Thank you so much. We'll see you all next time.